The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Last week, SpaceX's Starship lifted off from Texas and flew for almost four minutes before exploding mid-flight. The most powerful rocket ever built didn't reach space, but it did mark a milestone. As SpaceX rebuilds the pad and assesses the data, the company's launch cadence continues. Up next, the Viasat 3 Americas mission, set to lift off as soon as Thursday from Kennedy Space Center, using an expendable Falcon Heavy rocket to carry the first of three new satellites for broadband services provider, Viasat. They'll give us a lot more bandwidth. Uh, this, this one satellite will increase the amount of bandwidth we have available in, uh, in the Americas by about a factor of three or four. On this episode, Viasat chairman and co-founder Mark Dankberg rejoins me to discuss the latest launch, the burgeoning business of connectivity, and the pending merger with Marsat. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Well, the Viasat 3 satellites, there will be three of them altogether. This is the first of them. And they're really important to us and to our customers because they'll give us a lot more bandwidth. Uh, this, this one satellite will increase the amount of bandwidth we have available in, uh, in the Americas by about a factor of three or four uh, altogether, at least. And then it also gives us a lot more coverage, which is really valuable to our in-flight connectivity customers, maritime, government customers. So the, that's uh, th those are the two things that it really will bring to us. Okay. And so you said this is the first of three. What What is the timeline for the next two? They're roughly on about six months centers, you know, as, as much as you can predict, uh, given launch schedules, uh, as we can see. But it should be about six months uh, till the next one. And then about that'll cover... Uh, Europe, Africa, Middle East, and then the next one will cover Asia Pacific. That'll be a, a, about six months later, uh, late spring okay. next year. All right, and uh, and Boeing's making the satellites. Yeah, Boeing is the uh, integrator and the prime contractor for the satellites. Uh, we we actually built the payloads for those satellites ourselves, which is pretty unusual in this business uh, because these are, these uh, the way these satellites are built has never been done before. And so we had to create a lot of new technology to do that. And, uh, and we did that in-house. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, I, guess, I guess what went into that process then in terms of development and what, what did you want to be able to create that hasn't existed before? Well, one, one of the things that's, that we really emphasize with, uh, with data satellites, that are broadband data satellites, is really uh, optimizing the amount of bandwidth that we can get and where we can put that bandwidth. And so... The, and that's really a, an issue of frequency reuse, which is very similar to the way cellular networks work on the ground. So to get the kind of reuse, that is to reuse the spectrum that's granted to us over and over and over again, we really developed the first almost completely solid state satellite. And it was a lot of device integration and miniaturization, which uh, we've talked about a little bit in the past, but it's on a scale that's never been done for these types of satellites. And so that was... It's it's a it was a big investment for us. It took us a little longer than we expected, 
but things are looking really promising to get the uh, value out of that. And it's going to launch to this first one's going to launch to space with SpaceX uh, and a Falcon Heavy rocket. Why the decision to go that route? Well, uh, actually, uh, we had acquired one of the very first uh, commercial Falcon Heavy launches, I think back in about 2016. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't ready in time for, for Viasat 2. So, uh, so we, we continue to work with SpaceX. Uh, the Falcon Heavy is a very high performance rocket. One of the good things, you know, one of the advantages of, of, that, uh, of that rocket is the time from launch to getting into its orbital position will be quite short, uh, only about two weeks, which is a, a big improvement over most, uh, most other uh, kind of medium to heavy lift rockets. Oh, interesting. Are, are, are you going to use, uh, I guess, Falcon Heavy for, for future launches? And I, just as importantly, how closely did you watch that Starship test flight last week? Uh, so uh, our next launch will be on uh, ULA, uh, and it'll be on an Atlas launch. The, we're still uh, working on the launch contractor for the, for the third launch. The launch contract we had for that one Again, won't quite be ready for that time frame, and so uh, we're negotiating a new one. And yeah, sure, I think everybody that's interested in space, you know, watch the uh, Starship launch, and uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty powerful beast. So uh, I, I think you know, there's more work to be done, but uh, it'll be something when it is. Mm, yeah, uh, it, it's it definitely a very it was definitely a very. Uh, intense week last week covering yeah. that that launch and and all of the uh all of the details that came out afterwards um let's talk a little bit about uh i guess business advice at, at in general and 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 specifically the competitive landscape because we could talk about you know the rockets that spacex makes but they're also launching their starlink uh um, broadband constellation to orbit too so how does it speak to how how the competition is evolving right now and and what it means for biosat well uh sure yeah you know when when we entered the uh, satellite services business which was just over 10 years ago 11 years ago we started our first satellite that we designed 15 years ago and we brought that to market it was really based on a value proposition that for data which is quite different than the broadcast market which is what the vast majority of existing satellites were designed to serve that for data uh, that was really important was being able to deliver a lot of bandwidth per per unit cost for our customers. And so that's the mission that we've been on. I think that's one of the things that uh, Starlink has been doing uh, and, and we can see others are now really, really interested in is is how much bandwidth can you deliver for a, a given price or cost for a customer, all things considered. And that's exactly been the strategy that we've been on. We, we think Viasat uh, 3 is going to be very, very competitive in those markets. And, and we've been quite successful uh, in, in the markets that we've been in. The big thing that Viasat 3 will do for us is give us a lot more bandwidth. We think of that as, as inventory. If, if you're in the connectivity business, you need inventory. And so the fact that it's been uh, about six, uh, five years since we've brought our last satellite into service is, uh, you know, has been kind of a constraint on our growth. But with Viasat 3 and then with two more launches coming in pretty uh, quick succession, I think that'll, that'll uh, really give us that 
uh, inventory that we need for growth. The, the other thing you know, that, that we've been working on is uh, a greater emphasis on mobility for, as, a, as a usage or application for our business. And well, that's been very, very successful for us. Uh, that's really the theory behind our uh, Inmarsat acquisition is to uh, kind of grow that business faster. And so we, we see really good growth prospects uh, based on, on the launch of these satellites. I do want to get into the Inmarsat um, merger in, in more detail, but first, just in terms of this idea of inventory, where do you see the most demand for it? Is it on the government side? Is it on the commercial side? I know you just uh, inked a deal with Microsoft for Azure as well recently too. Yeah, we think there's a very big market on the commercial side. We think that's, that is the biggest market. Uh, it's going to come in a number of different, you know, what people call vertical markets. And those include fixed applications for residential or enterprise. Aviation's a very big market, both for commercial and for general aviation, for private flights. And then maritime in multiple flavors. Uh, those, those are all... Uh, attractive markets. I think there'll be new markets that uh, that we're looking at for sure, and we see interest in in land mobile. That can include things like trains, uh, buses that are out, out of range of cellular networks, or you know, travel where cellular networks are overly congested or, or just don't work very well. But we think th those are the biggest markets. the The interesting thing about it is that those markets tend to be very geographically concentrated. So and not, not too surprisingly, you know, they, they are very focused where people live. And I think ballpark, there's kind of a, a estimate that about 95% of the people in the world live on about 5% of the land. So when you think about these markets, they tend to be very much where people are. And that was one of the main objectives of our Viasat 3 series was to be able to put most of the bandwidth in those relatively small geographic areas where people are, but then still to have enough global coverage to connect them. So when you have planes or ships that are en route from one population center to another, that we can give them really good service throughout that entire, entire journey. But think of the space business as a lot like the terrestrial cellular business. If you want a cellular carrier, you can want them to cover the roads between the cities, but by far the densest coverage is going to be where the where people are in those metro areas. Mm. Um, that's a really good metaphor. Uh, I like that. I'm going to have to use it. Um, <laughs> so when we talk about this, when we talk about this connectivity and we talk about all the data uh, that that's that's moving through through this process as well, too. What does that mean in terms of securing it. This is a conversation, this is a topic that actually came up in a recent conversation I had with General Saltzman from the Space Force about yeah. how you protect that data, um, you know, when you're, when you're, when it's beaming down and, and, and coming back and forth from space. Yeah, so that is, that is important. I mean, it's important to the individual users. It's certainly very important when you have platforms that are using it. So, uh, you know, I think we, as do most responsible satellite operators, invest a lot in in our data security and our cybersecurity systems, uh, which you know attract all kinds of uh, you know attacks or pokes or you know explorations, whatever, whatever you know, different uh, in different forms. So, so that's that's one element. Another area that's also really important, and that we uh, 
work closely with the government on is protecting the satellite itself, which means how you command and control a satellite. That's important as well. Those are both areas that we focus on. Yeah. You and I spoke, gosh, for this podcast, we spoke maybe well over a year ago now, and Mm -hmm. it was on the heels of the cyber attack on the Viasat network in Ukraine and and parts of Europe as Russia was invading that country at that time. Uh, I mean, lessons, lessons learned from that process and what it has meant to the resiliency of cybersecurity of the network. Yeah, well, uh, I think there's been a lot of disclosure around that. I, th- I think that there, you know, th- there's just different ways, different types of attacks, D- just like there are with other networks. Uh, as threats evolve, some of those threats uh, require, you know, different operating procedures, more hygiene. There's also the uh, the uh, human element of it. The, I mean, we have to address all of those issues. I think the you know one of the lessons learned that came out of it was just the think of it as the the degree of importance of satellite networks in all walks of life, the uh, amount of uh, attention that those networks can attract, and, and the importance of of uh, maintaining uh, good cybersecurity processes and protocols. Um, those are, you know, those are things that not only we, but I think everybody takes to heart. But the, you know, the main thing is, you know, just like in almost any other cybersecurity uh, situation, the attacker may have years to prepare, you know, may have specific target dates that they tend to exploit. And so requires constant vigilance. Mm. And, and I think that's, that's, you know, we're up to that. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to the acquisition, to the to the merger with Marsat. Uh, UK Competition and Markets Authority provisionally cleared the merger uh, at the beginning of March. Uh, we still have this review process going on with the European Commission as well, too. Where where are we in the process, and um, is it likely that you close this deal this summer, assuming that you get final regulatory approvals? Well, we. Uh... So we do think we're ne- we're nearing the the close. Uh, the CMA, uh, you know, um, published its provisional results. They took comments. There were a few comments, and they said that they would be they would uh, respond to those comments uh, within a few few more weeks. Uh, I think that the European Commission has its own process that they go through. The I, I'd say from our perspective, the the markets are pretty ver- you know either totally overlapping or, or highly overlapping. Uh, the facts around that are, are very, very similar. So, you know, we're hopeful they'll come to the same conclusion, uh, but it, it should, you know, we think we're, I think we're closing in on the end, but it's obviously very difficult for us to, to, to estimate what exactly when that will be. Yeah. Um, and I guess you touched on it a little bit as well, and just sort of this move into more meaningful move into mobility, but, um, just what what this merger actually enables for the two companies combined together to be able to do and, and realize in terms of growth. Yeah, there are several several opportunities. Number one, one of the really good things about Viasat and Inmarsat is we both have KA band networks, and so that that creates an opportunity for uh, the platforms that we serve to roam on to each other's networks, 
And in, Inmarsat was one of the first and earliest to provide a global connectivity network for aeronautical and maritime service. But one of the exciting things about Viasat 3 is from a data capacity and data economics perspective, the amount of bandwidth that we can bring globally is uh, far, far greater than, than what Inmarsat has. So we, we see a really big opportunity to upgrade the services that are available to Inmarsat's very large installed base. And remember, Inmarsat started as a global company, so virtually all of their customers are global. Whereas we, when we entered the satellite services space, we did it as a regional operator, first in the US and North America, Europe, and then we've partnered in Australia and Brazil. And we've been very successful in all those markets, really, really based on this bandwidth value proposition that we talked about a few minutes ago. So what we think is by bringing that bandwidth value proposition to the Inmarsat's customers and bringing the Inmarsat satellite assets to ours, which will augment what we have, we think that's a really, really strong combination. The uh, other thing th that also comes into play is if you look at the technologies that we talked about that we, we had to develop ourselves and manufacture ourselves to give our satellites so much bandwidth and to be able to also focus that bandwidth in the areas where there's high demand. One of the things that's becoming really, really interesting now is the application of Inmarsat's L-band network, which is considered part of mobile satellite services, which are now primarily used to communicate with you know, special purpose satellite devices, whether handheld or, or platform mounted. What's really become interesting now is the, is the potential to allow those satellites to talk directly to ordinary cell phones. And so the technologies that we've developed there, when combined with Inmarsat Spectrum assets and the fact that they can put those assets to use uh, really productively now, that that's also creates a really interesting uh, potential for growth for the combined companies in hmm. a way that neither of us had on our own uh, before. What does this mean? And for, for, for a consumer that's going to have access to this newly combined network, I mean, what, what does that look like in terms of my connectivity on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, so uh, remember, Inmarsat's primarily mobility. So mm -hmm. the one where people I, I think would be most familiar with it is in, in flight communications. So that's been you know one of the most exciting areas for us, and I think we've been you know real really excited about the success we've had there in the U.S. working with American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, JetBlue, recently starting with Southwest, and and uh, it's, it's you know it's given us a really good business space there. But for the passengers, what it's meant is you can now stream video on the planes. I'm mean, one of the most one of the, I think I'm a sports fan. One of the most exciting things is if, if you uh, want to watch a NBA game, a NFL game, and you've got a subscription to one of those services or Major League Baseball, you can do it. And lots of people do it on, on planes uh, that have our service. So that's really outside of where we provide service to, we've entered Europe. We have some European customers that are also uh, allowing passengers to do that. Uh, Qantas has in Australia for many years, actually. That's, uh, they're really excited about that. We've started doing the same in Brazil. 
but the combination of Viasat 3 plus Inmarsat's presence with the global airlines is going to bring that level of connectivity kind of worldwide. Uh, and in flights, it, it's a really good venue for us to do that. We think there's going to be similar opportunities in, in maritime as well. Uh, you're starting to see more of that level of service on cruise ships, uh, but also private boats that can be big or small. That, that's, that's another place where you'd get exposure to it. Finally, uh, people don't travel as much on Amtrak uh, in the U.S., but in Europe, where rail travels very, you know, very extensive, there's lots of places where cellular coverage is really poor. And so using the train's Wi-Fi, I think, will be kind of a, a similar level of experience there. Very cool. Um, one question about uh, Viasat specifically, there have been some reports about uh, some cost cutting and some layoffs. Is that something that, that is afoot? Well, uh, what, one of the things that we did do uh, a few months ago was we did divest one of our government terrestrial anti-jam radio businesses, uh, a tactical data links business to L3 Harris. And as part of that transaction, you know, uh, we, we sold that business line and a large number of people went along with it. But that also meant that, the, that not all of the people that supported that business, especially those that worked indirectly associated with the business in areas that L3 Harris would have its own infrastructure on, a number of those people were uh, still at Biosat. So unfortunately, we did have to do a little bit of right sizing uh, to bring our workforce in line with the size of the company that remained. So it's about uh, it's on the order of three hundred, three hundred fifty million dollars worth of revenue that we divested. Uh, then we also do have a uh, you know a transition services agreement with Harris to 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 make sure that that division goes along there smoothly. But that that will have a finite duration. And so some of the people that are providing work on there the, the understand that, that that'll be uh, temporary as well. Other than that, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things we are seeing is that there, you know, there's economic consequences of the uh, current overall macro economy that mm -hmm. are weighing on companies and everybody, every company is always going to have to assess what, what those, what those mean for, for its performance. Yeah. And, and I will just ask you that question. We have that conversation on CNBC every single day, the uncertain macroeconomic environment right now. How do you see it? And what does that mean, not only for the company, but for the space business in general over the coming years? Boy, from, you know, from a business perspective, I think, you know, one of the, I mean, this is not surprising, but one of the biggest issues is uh, with interest rates going up, you know, the, the, hurdles for equity returns are higher and those, uh, you know, those can have uh, Im impacts on every business's plans. Uh, and I think that's a, a lot of what we're seeing right now. The space business, it's in particular, you know, there's been a lot of investment in that, but by its very nature, that tends to be very long term. And I think the, some of these early stage, but long-term investments are some of the most difficult to, to raise uh, with in the current interest rate environment. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, so, you know, I think 
that's it's not been a huge factor for us yet, but I think uh, capital structure has always got to be a, an important consideration, especially for capital intensive businesses like space. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.